Hello, it's great to be together again and to share our hearts and look at God's Word. We are still in this uncharted territory, aren't we? And um, it's good to reflect, it's good to listen to God, it's good to, to be together. But um, in my thinking, I've been just meditating on the importance of knowing God at this time. If we think about it, very few of us in this country, unless we're a certain age, have been through a time where collectively the nation has been facing such a, a big challenge. Our parents, or if we're old enough, or, or our grandparents certainly, they went through six years of war. And many of our political leaders have likened this to a war. And in sense, like our grandparents, we, we'd hoped to avoid it when we heard it going on elsewhere. But when it came, it came quickly, didn't it? And uh, almost took us by surprise. And like our grandparents thought about war, they hoped it would be very short-lived. And we likewise are hoping and praying uh, that this impact of lockdown and, and impact on our lives will be short-lived. But people are already talking about a new normal aren't they? They're talking about our lives being affected for a long and unspecified period of time. So how are we going to, to cope with this? Martin spoke last week about an intentional time of waiting, a very uh, comforting and encouraging word, being prepared for what God will do in us and through us at this time and being ready for when uh, the lockdown lifts. It's really important. He encourages us to use it as a time of investing. And I think one of the ways we can really invest is, is to think through what we really believe, to know really deep down our faith and, um, and where we stand. And that's a crisis situation often encourages us to do that. It's causing us to think through our beliefs, uh, our guiding principles of life, our worldview, how all this fits in together with our faith. Where's our faith grounded? This leads us to consider our values and what really matters to us. Nobody with a limited time to live, and I do hope and pray that that won't apply, but nobody wishes, do they, if you had a limited amount of time to live, that you'd answered more emails or consumed more food or alcohol or even watched more films on Netflix. What you're likely to, to wish and pray and hope for is that you'd being closer to your friends and family and more compassionate, even more bold or adventurous the way you lived life, or even, I hope, that you walked closer to the Lord. But it's the presence of a threat that really makes us to look at these things and to see things in our lives that we truly value and finding out what we really think. This week I, I was asked at short notice to record a talk with the UECU on the topic of God and COVID-19 and the title this week was Is God Still in Control in COVID-19? Well firstly of course I was really pleased to be asked because that is something I really in, enjoy doing and preparing talks and, and, and sharing my faith. And of course I readily agreed to do this. And then of course I thought well, what am I going to say? There are no easy answers. People are going through such pain and grief and dislocation. And the last thing I wanted to do was 
to be glib and, and to produce off-the-shelf answers. So I was asking myself, what do I know? What do I really know? What is my starting point? What can I say that's of real value? And it came down to this. In, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, Paul wrote these words. He says, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I thought this has to be the beginning and the end of my worldview. Knowing him. Knowing what I have believed. What do I know of God? What do I know of his son Jesus? That informs me that he is in control of this world in COVID-19. And this actually boiled down to something very simple. What do I know of Jesus? And out of this I understood he was in control. May I just share a little of my thought process? I thought I would simply write down my faith and see where it took me. So I wrote about God becoming a man in Jesus, the incarnation. I wrote about his perfect life, his sinlessness, his death on the Roman cross for you and for me. I wrote about his resurrection, his ascension into heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then I wrote, and so what? And then I wrote these words, and I'm going to read them as I said them. He said, I mentioned the incarnation, the cross and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, albeit so briefly, because it's these things that give us bearings, foundations in any crisis, tragedy or pain. The, in the incarnation, God in Jesus becoming a man demonstrates God would not be separate from us, but come among us, be like us and live amongst the poor, the oppressed, those hurting. And he would know fully and experientially what it was like to be human. This point can't be stressed enough at times like this where there is such grief. God knows the pain, the suffering, the separation. I mention the cross because this is where Jesus suffered unjustly, innocently, standing in our places. He bore immense psychological, uh, physical and spiritual pain, taking on himself the wrongdoings of others, the sins of the world. To bring all who would know him into a right relationship with a holy and righteous God. This point cannot be stressed enough because this virus seems to attack everybody indiscriminately, however well they have lived. And I mention the resurrection because it makes a declaration about this crucified one. It declares that Jesus is this world's Lord and Christ is he that would have the final word and nothing else, not this virus. Then I said, if the cross tells us more than anything else what God is like, that he is love, that out of his compassion and heart for the human race he sent his son, then the resurrection more than anything else tells us, makes sense of the identity of Jesus, that he is the Lord. But there's something else that the resurrection of Jesus tells us. It tells us that death is not the end, that the resurrection of Jesus anchors our hope in an eternal life with God where there is no more suffering or pain. And I mention the Holy Spirit because God has not left us without a comforter. So this is what I said. And where does it get me? Well, it got me where I needed to be. 
that God has indeed come among us and is indeed our Saviour. And Paul says, I know him, I know who I have believed, and I know he's able to keep that which I've entrusted to him until that day. These simple truths reveal to us that God is our hope. Whatever's going on around us, church, whatever disruption and pain, God hasn't changed and we have hope. So as I was praying, preparing for today, I thought this is just as relevant to you, to me as the church, as it was to present the talk this week. Isaiah says these words in Isaiah 33 verse 6, He will be the stability of your times, the abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. And now is the time that we need to go deep into him for our stability. The NIV says he is the foundation of your times and knowing him is the key to this. As an example of this, I thought of Job. I wonder how many of you have read Job in the last month. I expect if Job was a separate book, it'd be number one in the bestsellers. You remember he is the one that went through really, really tough times and asked God lots and lots of questions. But he came out the other side. James says this in James chapter 5, verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job wrestled with what was going on in his life. And as I read through Job, I thought, what a truly amazing character he is. He was a righteous man that certainly puts me in the shade. He was a really good man. He cared for the poor, gave shelter to the homeless. He protected the orphans and the widows. He clothed the naked. He fed the hungry. He was a wise counselor. He upheld justice. He didn't lust after anyone else's wife. He loved his family. But tragedy struck his life and he was in desperation. He was in great pain and discomfort with sores. He went into isolation. Everything around him went into a forced lockdown as he lost everything. Sounds familiar. What was going on in his life didn't convict fit conventional wisdom in the quotes church of the day. The idea was that the righteous always did well. Their lives were always rosy and comfortable and the wicked, well, they did badly. But what was happening to Job? His friends really didn't know him, did they? They told him to confess his sin, to own up to his failings, to admit that he was wrong to come clean on, on what was hidden in his life. And they got cross with him. They said he wasn't being honest. He was denying the truth. He was deceiving them all. The constant repeating of their ideas that Joe must have done something wrong led him to cause them to be his worthless comforters. They didn't know him. Job had many questions and was asking God to give him justice to put things right. He blames God for putting him in this situation. Job cannot accept that this is a punishment from God. 
Job, however, does not and cannot give up on God, even though his wife told him to curse God and die. Job says these amazing words in Job 23, verse 10 to 12. He says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his ways without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. He reveals a real faithful heart and knowledge of God. But despite everything that's going on in his life, he says these amazing words that remind me of Paul's words when he says, I know in whom I have believed. Job says in chapter 19, verse 25, these immortal words, I know that my Redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me amazing faith and trust in a God he knows and believes in despite what's going on, despite his isolation, despite his personal lockdown that no one else is experiencing, despite the loss, despite the tragedy in his lives, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he says, I know he knows the way that I take. So the book climaxes with God appearing in a storm. You may think he may answer all of Job's questions, but he doesn't. He chooses to remind Job of who he, God, is. He says to Job, Job, brace yourself like a man in chapter 38, verse 3. I will question you. You've been questioning me. I will question you now. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. And he goes on to describe his great works and God's answer is to show himself who he is. And this is often our greatest answer, our greatest um, facility. The thing that really changes things is to see who God is. Not to focus on the situation, the need or the problem, but to focus on the greatness and wonder of God. So God says to Job, this is who I am. And that's why praise and thanksgiving are so important. And when God speaks to Job, Job's response is so amazing. This is a man who I think really knew God. And he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Sure. In other words, I thought I knew you, but now I know you even more. And that's let the Apostle Paul prayed those words himself, didn't it? Towards the end of his life in prison, he says that I might know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made like him, even unto his death. And this is a time, isn't it, for us to, to behold him, to look at him, to, to really ask the Holy Spirit to reveal him to us, to go deep you know, what is it that I really am standing on? I really am standing on the fact that God is 
who he says he is, that God is love, that God came into this world to, to be with me where I am in the situation, that God by his spirit is in us and among us. And the cross says it all. The cross tells us that God is committed to us and loves us. He hasn't removed himself from us. He sent his Holy Spirit. And because he's real and he's here, he is in control. Even if we're going through suffering and pain, I know that my Redeemer lives. So I was thinking how powerful it is to really refresh our beliefs. The word creed means I believe. We sometimes sing a creed, don't we? It's good to write it down. It's good to confess what we know. And this is the Apostles' Creed. It starts like this. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, my Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The one holy, universal, joint Catholic Church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Mm.